of Dr. Mike is definitely showing and he comes oh. right away. A little bit of a cheeky yeah, those shot off cheeky. the glove touch. I, I don't... So we're going to get to that, but first, sup you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. I hope you had a good weekend. Quick note, uh, after every Philip DeFranco Show this week, I have a special after show for you. It'll be one of the top links down below. You can go uh, watch those videos at youtube.com slash DeFranco does. I'm not saying I'm going to always do it. It was just something fun I wanted to do this week, so definitely check that out. But let's just jump into it. You know, the first thing that I want to talk about today in today's massive show, hit that like button if you like the big ones. Yes, I worded it like that on purpose. Is of course Creator Clash, which was put together by iDubs and Anissa, and just, it was a resounding success. But of course, like everything with YouTubers, there was a controversy. And I'll start with the positive because iDubs very much a man of his word. With prior to the event saying he wanted this event to be different. Saying that the creators involved wanted to show respect to the sport, take it seriously and train. Saying that it wouldn't be as cloud or money driven as previous influencer boxing events. And I also gotta say just visually, like if you compare and contrast this event with Triller, do not show a graphic, not trying to get into Ethan Klein's lawsuit. Like Creator Clash looks so much better. Also, as far as the fighters, literally everyone on the card, I wanna give props to. Harley from Epic Mealtime and Aaron, both bosses. Also Harley with the best promo call out of all time. This is for a good cause. That's why I did it. However, I only used about 20% of my abilities. I would like to exercise the remaining 80%. I wanna fight someone bigger. I want them to know what's going down. The talk, I'm talking to you. I'm six foot six. You think you're tall? You think you're the two time? This ain't a game, boy. And let me tell you something. That bulletproof vest you wear ain't gonna stop these guns. Possibly fight of the night was Justin Minks and Yodeling Haley. Like just in its own right, amazing fight, but it also like, it was better than most everything. Also massive shout out to Michael Reeves, who of course he went from not ever fighting ever to just having the best form of almost anyone on the card. Engineers are just different. But like I said, this event was not without controversy with the two main things being about the final fight between iDubs and Dr. Mike. With the first controversy being that unlike the rest of the fights for the night, this was supposed to be four rounds, three minutes instead of five rounds, two minutes. With the creator clash, Twitter even acknowledging this was a mess up. Though that wasn't enough for some people, it's spawning conspiracies, right? Was this done to protect Ian? Personally, I think the conspiracy theory is bullshit. I think it was just a mistake, but you know, the internet. And then as far as the second controversy, that was specifically about Dr. Mike. A number of people sounding off online saying that he was a poor sport, his ego is so big that he threw in some cheap shots on Ian. With many pointing to and sharing the video of the glove touch and then immediate swing by Dr. Mike. And here I'll say I'm of two minds, primarily because I like both of these guys. Part of my brain going, you know, when you're fighting, you need to be ready for a punch at any moment. But also the other part of my brain going, I didn't like to see it. It felt like weird and cheap for a charity event. But also I haven't been in a situation like that. I don't know what happens when the adrenaline hits you like that. So that's why this morning I reached out to Dr. Mike and iDubs to talk about the event. But I wanted to hear about the good and their responses to the controversial. iDubs hasn't responded yet, but this is a very quick turnaround for us. Though Dr. Mike did, and here's what we talked about with the good and the controversial. Does it classify as a shiner? It's a shiner. It's a shiner. iDubs got me. I, you know what? I was, I was, I think I said this to you privately, and I think a lot of people had the mindset, I did not think that he was gonna put up as much of a fight. I didn't know what shape he was in before he started posting the videos. He definitely bulked up to, to try and face you. I was so fucking impressed by that guy. I was incredibly impressed. Like, I've hit guys with my right hand in the gym that are bigger than Ian, and they go down. He did not go down ever. He, not only he didn't go down, he returned. He returned fire after taking hits. So he, he should be very proud and, 
Um, I think he's come a long way. I also think he's smart in the way he approached this by not putting out any footage and kind of leaving me in the dark. A lot of people <laughs> said what you said, you know, oh, this is going to be really unfair. You're so much better than him, which is funny because I'm a doctor at the end of the day. I'm not a professional boxer. Oh, it, come it, on. You have, oh, you have anyone that has over a decade of experience doing a thing, going against someone that I has less than a year. So much, Phil, you have no idea. Because no, this is, this is how that you're in, came about. You, you, you go you go to the hospital, you work, and then every day for the last 10 years, you put in four hours. No, because no. here's what happened. My producer is sitting with me and he's asking me to VO the footage. And he's like, tell us what your history with boxing is. And I was like, 10 years ago, my mom passed away and I started boxing as a way to like relieve stress. And that then escalated to, I've been boxing for 10 years. I'm a boxer for 10 years. And I, I had to walk back that statement pretty hard, as you can tell with the bruises. <laughs> what were uh, some of the standout moments from the event? Everyone's happy after, even if they were injured. I sat with Ryan at 4 a.m. fight night after he returned back to the, from the hospital with his mm. broken nose. And he's laughing, he's smiling, he's happy because, you know, he hugged it out with his opponent. Ian and I were hugging the next day. I was congratulating him on his event. That's what I want influencer boxing to be because us pretending like we're these professionals professionals that are going to kill each other and we're going to bet our homes and we're going to tattoo each other's face. It's ridiculous unless we're being very obvious and coy that this is part of the show. Well, I will say, yeah, that aspect of it brought me back to the first KSI Logan Paul fight when the card was actually a bunch of YouTubers. And part of the thing was you didn't know what to expect. Right. I didn't expect Michael Reeves to go in there and look like he's been doing it for years. I didn't expect dad to get the fastest knockout in YouTube boxing history. Uh, the charity aspect. I mean, all the other boxing events are all about how rich everyone's going to get and they're going to flash their cash. We're going to raise a ton of money for some really good causes. That goes understated to show that all these people that put on a show for everyone we're not doing this for themselves. This was a charity event at the end of the day. Like that's the biggest thing that we have to highlight and the takeaway we have to have from this. Did the people that were training for this event just pay for their training out of pocket? So the way that the event is organized is 75% of the profits of the event itself will go to the causes that Ian designated, the American Heart Association, the Alzheimer's Association. Um, there's a horse, equine, uh, animal therapy one that he selected. And then each fighter as well gets $20,000 to train, to use for travel, et cetera, et cetera. Plus there's a small backend fee that you also get from the numbers. I think it was like 25%, uh, that will be split amongst all the fighters evenly. For me, cool. I said that all of that, that I get the 20,000 plus 25%, I'm given to the Ukraine crisis. Everyone else is obviously covering their costs or whatever it is they need to do. But the huge majority, overwhelming majority of this money goes right to charity. I do need to ask you about two things. One, I feel like you've been more vocal on. The other, I don't know if I've seen you talk about it. So we'll start with the, the more vocal part. Uh, there was a controversy with your fight. It was supposed to be four three-minute rounds. Out of nowhere, it changed to uh, two-minute rounds. I think I and a lot of other people think the, the fight probably would have ended differently had that happened, um, mainly because it's, at times it seemed like Ian was fighting, he was a survivor, but he definitely felt like he was in deeper waters and what would have been the final minute of several rounds. Uh, and you've been kind of vocal about it, and I wanted to know, because what are your thoughts in general, but also what do you feel about like how you've talked about it publicly? Because it feels like, to some, that you're kind of on this, I know that you got you have nothing but love for, for Ian and you guys have 
spoken so highly, but it seems almost like you're saying there is a possibility that, that there's a world where it, this was done intentionally. And so I wanted you to be able to either dismiss that or talk about it. Yeah, 100% dismissal of any conspiracy theories. In fact, I, okay. read, uh, I quote tweeted a, a tweet of someone saying that. And I said, I never assume things like that. That's a no go. That's a non starter for me. Uh, the only thing that is fair to say, uh, especially in watching the fights back towards the end of every two minutes was when I was starting to sort of get going. And strategically, I trained for three minute fights. I mean, so did Ian. He was shocked by this as well. That's why all the conspiracy things make no sense. His mm -hmm. team was just as flustered. We both went to hug in the fourth round because we thought it was over. So yeah. we were both surprised by that. But why I was vocal about it and why it was a little frustrating for me, again, not frustrating towards Ian or any of his people, but the fact that it changed so abruptly was in the first round, in the second round, I look up at the clock and there's one minute left and I see he's on weak legs. As a fighter, you have two options when someone's on weak legs. Pounce on them, go all out, and get them out in five seconds. Or now you have the advantage to pick them apart while you're also breathing and recovering. With a minute left on the clock, I took that approach and then was abruptly stopped. In my crazy head at that moment, I said I must have been looking at the wrong clock or I misread the clock. Because, you know, there's a lot of emotions, a lot of things going on. So I sat down, I said, okay, recover, forget about it, move on. And the same thing happened in the second round, the third round. And looking back at it, as you said, I think that there was a finish incoming had I known that there was only a few seconds left. So that's why I was vocal about it. But in reality, nothing to do, no shade at Ian, no shade at Anissa. Anyone doing that is completely wrong. It just happened to have worked out in his favor. I mean, in all reality, he could have had me on the ropes and hurt. And if it would have ended on two minutes, I would have out front said that, hey, uh, they shouldn't yeah. have done that. They shouldn't have changed it. We trained for three minutes. That was absolutely ridiculous. Do you feel like uh, the change in time also, well, probably also exhaustion is, I know so, I saw some people uh, talking about Ian accidentally clipping you after, what was it, the bell rang in the fifth round? Yeah, I mean, look, like in fighting, when you, especially we're novice fighters, we're not pros. We don't have a lot of experience doing that, but it, it's tough. So Ian hitting me after the bell, I smiled. I get, he's not, I know who he is and intent is what matters. And he wasn't trying to do anything uh, mean to me. And so kind of on that note, then I want to ask you about the, the second controversial moment was, uh, People have called uh, your first punch or first set of punches in the, the second round kind of a cheap shot. You guys go in for the, the glove touch and then <laughs> just like a fucking lightning. I see this one, two from you. Yeah, um, th they're completely right to say that. I get where they're coming from. Um, in my corner, they're constantly telling me start fast, start fast. And in fact, I don't know why I went to even touch gloves the second round. Uh, it was probably because in preparing for the fight, my trainers would say, okay, when the fight starts, go to touch gloves and then right away we want you to get into the action. And somehow with all the adrenaline, even in the second round, I went to touch gloves and start the action real fast, being very antsy. So that was my apologies. I shouldn't have done that, but totally okay. no ill intent to Ian on that because he's homie. I don't want any unfair advantage in a fight like that. So my apologies. Yeah, because I was watching it and then I was like, I like both these guys. It feels a little cheap, but I've never been there. I don't know what it's like to have that adrenaline pumping through me. So it was one of those things where I was like, I'm going <laughs> to talk to him about it. No, See no, what's for up. Sure. And I talked to Anissa about it. I told her I no ill intent on my part that I didn't mean that. Yeah. So. Would you uh, would you do this event again? That's going to be my last question. Oh, absolutely. Especially with Ian and Anissa. 
like they're rock stars. Like they're passionate about the sport. They know what they're doing. They know how to protect fighters. All the organizers that reach out to me to participate on their cards in the past really are business people. They're trying to make business decisions, but Ian and Anissa care about the fighters. They want to make sure they're all trained up. They want to put on a good show, but they also want to protect everybody they care about them. You could see it. They wear their emotions on their sleeves. So anything Ian and Anissa do, again, I'm 100% going to be involved in, if they want me, that is. I also am not 100% sure that I'm definitely going to fight again, Phil. Like, this isn't fun. I got to go see patients with this tomorrow. So uh, we'll see. And so now with all of that, I want to pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts? Yes, about the controversy. But what were your thoughts about any and all things from the event? Personally, I'm excited to see iDubs and Anissa put another one together. I think, I think like this should be the base from where everything else is built. Right, because Jake Paul has like ascended to a, a different kind of fighter. It doesn't make sense for like a YouTube event. But what makes these events so fun is like you don't know what to expect. And it turns out like it didn't feel like there was anything bad about the fighters not having to like have real beef or even fake beef. Like it was kind of amazing to see like people trying to knock the other person's head off and then it was just like a love hug fest after every fight. Yeah, for me it's exciting. But from that, I want to take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Lomi. Lomi is a revolutionary kitchen appliance that turns waste into nutrient-rich dirt and is available through the great folks at Pila.Earth. Lomi does three things. Decomposes food waste, creates dirt, and breaks down Lomi-approved bioplastics. Meanwhile, others only dehydrate your food and don't create nutrient-rich dirt. And it's all easy and mess-free to use. You put food, scraps, coffee grounds, hell, even your own Pella case into Lomi and then push the button and it transforms this waste into nutrient-rich dirt in a matter of hours with no smell. And if you're looking to reduce your carbon footprint, Lomi's fastest cycle uses a quarter of the energy that the average dishwasher cycle uses. And in addition to being extremely easy, it's so small it fits conveniently into your life and its sheet clean design is meant to look nice in your home with no professional installation required. So with Lomi, you'll be able to turn your waste into nutrient-rich dirt, revolutionize the way that you deal with waste. What are you waiting for? Just head on over to pila.earth slash defranco to get yours today. And then this news story opens up with the question, what's the most regrettable thing that you've ever done while intoxicated by any substance? Mine is getting completely obliterated, going into the ocean at midnight, couldn't see a thing, survived that, came home and busted my face, causing this scar right here because I wanted to eat soup. And for some reason, I wanted to read the ingredients and I brought it closer to my face, but at a speed that wasn't great. And that was the day I learned how much faces can bleed. But thankfully, with me being just a dumb, happy drunk, I did not violently attack anyone. But obviously, some people cannot say the same. And they are the reason why Canada's Supreme Court has now ruled that self-induced extreme intoxication can be used as a legal defense in cases of violent crime like homicide and sexual assault. With them striking down a law passed in 1995 that barred the defense from being used. With the court's unanimous opinion reading, its impact on the principles of fundamental justice is is disproportionate to its overarching public benefits. So now, if you commit a violent crime in Canada, as long as you were just completely fucking trash when you did it, you may be protected by the courts. And this stems from three specific cases brought before the Supreme Court. The first involving a guy who ate magic mushrooms, then proclaiming that he was doing God's will as he broke into his father's home, stabbed him to death, and grievously wounded his partner. The second involving a man who consumed several mixed drinks, beers, and magic mushrooms at a party, then broke into two homes and assaulted the occupant of one. And the third involving a man who tried to commit suicide by taking a prescription drug, but when it gave him a psychiatric break, he thought his mother was an alien and he stabbed her. With all three defendants arguing they were so intoxicated as to essentially be rendered automatons incapable of voluntary action and therefore were 
unable to be held criminally responsible. You know, this question is not new. The, the question of where to draw the line between someone who can be held responsible for their actions and someone who can't has been a long time debate. With the whole thing being tipped off by a case in 1994 where a man drank several beers and most of a bottle of brandy, then throwing a 65-year-old woman who uses a wheelchair onto a bed and sexually assaulting her, later arguing in court that he had no memory of the event and was too drunk to act voluntarily. And while the Supreme Court at that time ruled that he had a right to raise that as a defense, the ensuing outcry prompted Parliament to pass a law barring that defense, which was just struck down. So now you have women's rights groups arguing that this recent ruling will hinder women from obtaining justice against domestic partners who assault them or their children while drunk. But you have others pushing against that, saying this will only apply to a small fraction of cases, and arguing that even in those, it's not guaranteed that a judge or a jury is going to buy that defense. But with all of that said, where I want to end this is passing the question off to you. Where do you land on this? What do you think and how does this make you feel and why? And then, I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. We have some good news out of Ukraine. And that's because a huge convoy of somewhere between 500 and 1,000 vehicles carrying refugees has safely evacuated Mariupol, where people have been trickling out of the southern port city for months now, but this was definitely the biggest evacuation thus far. And notably, for days, it looked like it might not even happen with Russian troops refusing to let the refugees go. But eventually they did, and the convoy took off for a nearly 300 kilometer journey northwest, arriving Saturday and Sunday in a Ukrainian-controlled city, with many still saying they had to take secret detours to avoid Russian checkpoints and fearing every moment the whole way. One 74-year-old man whose apartment was bombed saying, we barely made it. There were lots of elderly people among us. The trip was devastating, but it was worth it. And as far as Mariupol, the city has essentially been destroyed with buildings and ruins and thousands dead. Or as a Kyiv Independent reporter put it, in less than three months, Mariupol, one of Ukraine's fastest developing and comfortable cities, was reduced into a heap of charred ruins smelling death, with thousands of people standing in long bread lines and selling their properties out to buy some food. But important to remember, hundreds of Ukrainian fighters are still holed up in the Azovstal steel factory, where there is continued documented fighting and attacking of the mill. Meanwhile, you have Turkey trying to negotiate an evacuation of wounded Ukrainian soldiers there, though neither Ukraine nor Russia has agreed to any plan. Also, as far as a sign of how the war is going for Russia, British intelligence estimates that it may have now lost a third of its ground invasion force, and adding that the Russian campaign in the east has lost momentum and is significantly behind schedule, leading the NATO Deputy Secretary General to declare that the Ukrainians are now in a position to actually win the war. Also, as far as how Russia's unjustified attack on Ukraine is going, you have Finland and now Sweden saying they will apply for NATO membership, with Russia's Deputy Foreign Minister calling the moves another grave mistake with far-reaching consequences. Though, we had Putin himself coming out, taking a different tone, saying, there is no immediate threat to Russia from an expansion of NATO to include these countries. However, also warning that deployment of military infrastructure on their territories would certainly provoke our response. And so yeah, well the whole thing, is horrible. At the end of the day, right now, a lot more people are safer than they were before. Russia seems to be losing, and Putin is actually causing more of the very thing he wants to deter, NATO expansion. But from that, I want to take another quick second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's extra, extra large show, SeatGeek. Summer concerts are officially here, and to celebrate, SeatGeek gave me a special link that gives you 10% off tickets, whether you're a first-time buyer or long-time user. Like, as one of their super users, I'm jumping on this too. If you didn't know already, SeatGeek is a ticketing app that makes buying tickets super simple. I've got the app on my phone, it's by far the easiest way to buy tickets. They put tickets from across the web all in one place to make buying simple. So whether it's next week or next year, you can find any and all the tickets you want. Seeking also looked at the data and turns out you beautiful bastards love artists like Harry Styles, Bad Bunny, The Weeknd, and now you can get 10% off any concert even if you're a new or returning customer. And there's no code needed. You just click the link in the description and the 10% off offer will automatically be applied to the account. But I'm also not sure how long this offer is going to last, so jump on it now. 
Click that link, download the app, and get started today. And then finally today, I want to talk about the horrifying and tragic shootings this weekend. First off, there was an incident in Houston where two died and three were wounded at a flea market right now. The details are unclear, but also it was kind of just a drop in the bucket for what else happened. Because on Sunday in the quiet and mostly elderly city of Laguna Woods, California, a roughly six-year-old Asian man went to Geneva Presbyterian Church to attend services honoring a former pastor. The mostly Taiwanese congregation did not recognize him, but still welcomed him anyways. And the way that he thanked them was shortly after arriving, he began to open fire on the group. Four were wounded, one was killed while reloading. A visiting pastor from Taiwan threw a chair at the shooter before other members managed to tackle him and hogtie him, with police eventually arriving and detaining the killer. And it was actually just revealed right as we were editing today's show that the Chinese killer targeted the church due to anti-Taiwanese sentiments stemming from the two countries' relations. But then finally, what almost everyone is talking about is what happened on Saturday in Buffalo, New York, with an 18-year-old white man driving into the parking lot of a Topps grocery store and saying, just gotta go for it before jumping out of his vehicle in front of the store in tactical gear and shooting with an AR-15. And we know without a doubt this level of detail because the initial part of this shooting was live streamed to Twitch by the shooter for about two minutes before the platform took it down. Also, if it weren't for the shooter's body armor, he might not have even made it out alive because security guard Aaron Salter shot and hit him. Except unfortunately, his bullets could not penetrate the armor and so Salter was killed trying to protect people. With this monster then shooting over a dozen people, the police then arrive on the scene. The killer seems to act like he's going to take his own life, but then ultimately surrendering. And in total, at least 10 people were killed and several others wounded in one of the deadliest mass shootings in recent memory, and nearly all of the victims were black. And that final detail, alongside a nearly 200-page manifesto allegedly posted by the shooter, made it clear that this was a racially and politically motivated terror attack, which is why authorities are looking at hate crime charges for the shooter in addition to murders and other crimes. And if you're somehow still on the fence about whether this was racially motivated or not, I mean, look no further than his rifle, which had the N-word on the front of it, and that he admitted to specifically driving hours out of his way to a city with a significant black population. And with this story, you have people pointing to the manifesto, which is whole sections cut and pasted from the Christchurch manifesto. The murderer also appears to identify himself as a racist, fascist, and anti-Semite. And in particular, he targeted black Americans due to buying into the completely bogus Great Replacement Theory. Which, if you're unaware, this conspiracy theory, which comes in many, many variations, essentially boils down to the idea that white countries and white people are at the risk of being replaced as more people of color and other minorities increasingly immigrate. And depending on who these fuck faces say is perpetrating this, you have some saying Western elites, others because of fucking course they do. Some push the dumb shit racist conspiracy that of course the Jews are behind it. Cause reasons, I guess? But still, this is something that is regurgitated by many, including these monsters. Even New Zealand's Christchurch shooter cited the theory and so did the 2018 synagogue shooter in Pittsburgh. And then of course, don't forget the shooting in El Paso, Texas. There, the killer was angry about what he called the Hispanic invasion of Texas. And, you know, while we're on this topic, I, th I think one of the things that a lot of people miss when, when people are talking about racism. Some people out there have boiled down the idea of like, you can't be racist unless you're actively saying the N-word. But sometimes things like this theory, they're presented in less overtly racist tones by politicians and right-wing pundits with the likes of Hassan Piker kind of hitting the nail on the head here saying, racial discrimination and violence is built into the very foundation of this country. But if you're wondering who works actively to continue its normalization, look no further than the top news broadcaster in this country. And by no means is he alone here. You have tons of people blaming Fox News and Fucker Carlson for normalizing things like replacement theory. And the thing is, you don't have to just take Hassan's word or my word or anyone and try and turn this into a he said, she said of if Carlson and Fox News are pushing it. You can just listen to him say it. Now, I know that the left and all the little gatekeepers on Twitter become literally hysterical if you use the term replacement, if you suggest that the Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate, the voters now casting ballots with new people, more obedient voters from the third world. But they become hysterical because that's that's what's happening actually. Let's just say it, that's mm. true. Let's say that again for emphasis because it is the secret to the entire immigration debate. Demographic change is the key to the Democratic Party's political ambitions. In other words, you're being replaced and there's nothing you can do about it. So shut up. <laughs>
And in a new report from the New York Times, it was found that Carlson has pushed replacement theory in about 400 episodes. Now that said, Carlson is smart. He's not, you know, gonna be overtly racist as like the Buffalo shooter. Instead, trying to frame it as the Democrats want to bring in people from third world countries to force demographic change and get more voters. However, that's just a roundabout way to let the viewer read into the subtext, right? People from a third world, the other, often countries that are not considered white. But of course, with this, Tucker has his defenders, especially defenders in Congress. Back in September, Representative Matt Gates tweeted out, not even trying to hide it, Tucker Carlson is correct about replacement theory as he explains what is happening to America. The ADL is a racist organization. As far as why replacement theory is outrageously stupid, because in no way is it a new thing. It's been around since the founding of the United States and in every generation there is a new scary group coming to replace real Americans. But eventually for most, those people are then here long enough to be considered a part of being American and then a new group is targeted. Hell, founding father Benjamin Franklin espoused this view about the Germans who were probably the most white people. But saying he feared they wouldn't learn English, that they wouldn't keep up with Anglo traditions. And then it was the Irish, Italians, Russians, all of which weren't considered white throughout various eras. And unsurprisingly, nearly every one of those descendants in America speaks English and we've considered proper Americans now. Like I come from an Italian family, I hear stories about the past and I'm like, really? They called Italians what? And all of that as far as like being Americans, that should also apply to Latinos, blacks, and Asians, all of which have been part of America since its founding or in the country for well over 150 years. Now, of course, with this situation, we've seen many being very vocal, speaking out against the Buffalo shooter. On top of that, you had local businesses as well as local people donating money to the victims and their families. But then the final thing that I'll touch on with this story is people talking about and debating around gun control and mental health. One side, you have people rightly pointing out that the US is the only country with mass shootings year after year and pushing for a ban on rifles such as the AR-15. Well, the other side points out that blaming AR-15s is placing outsized blame as rifles account for a tiny fraction of gun murders each year, with both groups wanting a bigger emphasis on mental health, with some claiming that these shootings are a mental health issue, while others point out that the current rules and systems don't do enough to keep firearms out of the hands of dangerous people. Though to be clear, having a mental health issue does not inherently mean you are a dangerous person. But in this case, reportedly the Buffalo shooter made a threat against a local school when he was 17 and showed signs of erratic behavior. But despite all this, and even being placed under psychiatric watch, he was still able to purchase the rifle. So clearly there's some kind of breakdown going on there, which is why Democrats are now pushing hard for a new domestic terror law that is supposed to increase the communication between various agencies to prevent this type of stuff from falling again through the cracks. But also the reality is that nearly any gun control legislation is dead in the water with Congress's current makeup. And so if you even want the potential for change, the good news is that you can still vote. Because really when it comes down to most Every election, gerrymandering aside, it comes down to who wants it the most. What are the issues that will push people to vote? Obviously women's rights have been a big point of conversation recently, you have this and Ultimately, we're gonna have to wait to see. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. And of course, thank you for watching, like, and being a part of the conversation down below. If you wanna watch today's after show, click or tap right there, or it's a top link in the description down below. But yeah, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you tomorrow.